Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Bikes and Big Ideas on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm David Golay, the bike editor at Blister, and you can check out all the stuff we've been riding and reviewing recently over at blisterreview.com. And if you are planning to camp in the Gunnison Valley soon, please make sure you're up to date on the latest camping regulations, which have changed recently. We've included a link in the show notes with everything you need to know. Okay, today I'm talking to Steve Vanderhoek, and if you haven't already seen his incredible Latour Dinar video with Johan Borelli, well, you should fix that ASAP. We go deep on everything that went into making that project happen, and along the way we discuss some of the mental aspects of going big on a bike and listening to the voice in the back of your head to know when to dial it back, the importance of choosing the right partners to ride with, Steve's career as a firefighter and paramedic, and much more. So let's get right into my conversation with Steve. Well, Steve, thanks for coming on. Good to chat with you. How are you today and where are you today? Doing pretty good, all things considering. Just dealing with a fresh uh, fractured wrist. Uh, only three months between this one and my last injury. But uh, here in North Vancouver, in my home, uh, in my house, and stoked to be chatting with you. Yeah, same. Sorry to hear about the wrist, though. What happened there? Uh, this was uh, just filming with Remy, uh, Remy Metallier. We were been had this concept to shoot a video where I go and hit all of his, uh, not all of them, but a large portion of the gaps from his uh, Squamish Shredit, which, I mean, most mountain bikers have seen. It was like absolutely mind-bendingly insane. So yeah, we're 10 hours into filming that and it was the very last feature. Uh, there will be a video coming out, but uh, yeah, I just uh, landed it pretty much perfectly, but the riding had been so good that day. I was like, I can do better. Uh, I went back, did it again, and I just exploded and tomahawked down a hill for several hundred feet. And walked away with just a wrist fracture, so I'm not uh, actually not too bummed about how it all turned out. <laughs> yeah, I guess that sounds like that could have been worse, all things considered, and glad it wasn't too bad. Yeah, thanks for that. It's okay. <laughs> how long are you going to be off the bike for, you think? Uh, well, I see an orthopedic surgeon tomorrow, just to make sure everything's okay. But uh, I the standard four to six, they say, um, I'm hoping for four. Okay. Yeah. 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 It sounds like it's a pretty minor one, but I think it's going to be one of those ones that's either it's really minor and it won't take long or it's really small and really complicated and will take a really long time. So obviously hoping for the first one. Sure. Yeah. Fingers crossed on that. And I hope you're staying sane. That can often be just the hardest part of those injuries. It's like sitting around in the house with nothing else to do and looking out the window thinking, oh shit, I wish I could be riding right now. But uh, exactly. And it was only three months ago that I broke my tibial plateau. So I had to. Yeah, yeah that that was a really unfortunate one because I actually got run over by a buddy. He ran me down on his bike when oh, he screwed no. up the feature and uh, buckled my leg. I thought that was also an ACL, but just a tibial plateau. So I'm actually getting really lucky this year with my injuries. They're frequent injuries, but minor. So Okay. Well, I'm glad to hear the tibial plateau wasn't too bad. I did mine skiing about two years ago. Brutal. But um, like really blew it up. But, um, it was three and a half months on crutches and quite a bit of like a pretty major surgery to get it back together. I've got something like, I think it's four plates and 30 some odd screws in there, putting it all back together. And wow, that sounds complicated. Wasn't great. Yeah. I'm um, doing pretty well now. Things are, things are pretty much back to normal, but uh, glad to hear still skiing. I hope. Yeah. Yeah. Still getting after good. it. So nice. Sounds like yours wasn't nearly that bad though. No, it was, they called it an, an impaction fracture. So because I got hit from the outside, my leg kind of flexed inwards in, in a motion that probably should have, and usually they say does tear an ACL. Uh, and it just kind of, the way it kind of like punching a mirror or a piece of glass, it just kind of like caused an impaction into the tibial plateau. So fortunately it didn't shatter it and it was all quite stable, but yeah, 
uh, for me, it was only six weeks, uh, no weight bearing and okay. then a really, really quick recovery. I was back f- actually two days later, I filmed a video. Uh, oh, with Remy. Okay. So yeah, so I, me- I meant to ease into it, but that didn't happen. Right. I would imagine filming with Remy is never going to turn into easing into anything. <laughs> That's pretty full throttle. It's never mellow. And it's always like each fe- feature you hit, you're going to hit it like 10 or 15 times to just get that perfection. Cause he, like he strives for perfection and he gets it, but you work for that shot. So that it was a rude uh, entrance back into riding, but uh, it was very good. Yeah. I can imagine. Yeah. We'll get back into the, into filming with those guys more in a little bit here, but I wanted to start off with just a little bit about kind of your early riding career and some of the filming you did back in the, in the earlier days. And you've been doing this stuff and see the sky quarter for a long time and did some pretty interesting film parts quite a while ago. So how'd you get started with mountain bikes and what was your early days on a bike like? Uh, I started with mountain bikes probably just through my dad. My dad kind of had me on two wheels, a motorcycle and a mountain bike from like as long as I can remember. I've always been on bikes. And uh, the filming side kind of came when I uh, met Digger through some friends and started filming with him when I was in, in high school, probably grade 11 or 12. And that's when I did those NSX features where we were just jumping off all these weird old school features in the shore um and then i also did the flow show with uh, dangerous dan i'm not sure if you're familiar with that at all but it was kind of a traveling circus of mountain biking uh it was very 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 cool i actually am not super up on that one what time frame are we talking about here this this would be about 2000 and uh 2005 2006 i can't remember it probably stopped shortly after that but it had been going on for 10 years before but it was kind of a local north shore thing and they travel around with their little north shore skinnies and they set up shows at crankworks and all these festivals and i got into that doing backflips over concrete scaring my mom um <laughs> yeah and then uh probably around you know 2008 i kind of stopped with pursuing any sort of uh you know professional mountain biking or anything like that and then i started pursuing my my career with firefighting and emergency services. But uh, yeah, that's what I did in the past. Yeah. Well, that segues pretty nicely into what I was going to ask next already. It was, you know, it's not too hard to imagine a parallel universe where you did take the path of going, just being a professional mountain biker kind of more full time, but instead made that pivot into doing work as a firefighter and paramedic. How did that decision come about? What did you, what made you decide that really making the push to be a full-time pro rider wasn't, the direction you wanted to go and how did you end up in the world you are in? Yeah. Um, I was actually having this conversation with the guy a little while ago and um, I think it was just a, a big shift in uh, kind of what my interest in mountain biking were and then where the industry was going. And obviously we've all seen the waves go where, you know, DH was really big a while ago and it kind of tapered off a bit and DH has picked back up again. And you had your slope style riding and all the different riding has kind of had its moment of popularity. Uh, but uh so, it, yeah, things kind of trended very slope style when I was riding. And if you couldn't do double backs or tail whips and combos uh, at a crank horse level, then you were just kind of kind of not able to cut it. And I could do a flip and maybe occasionally land a three. Uh, but, yeah, that kind of I kind of started to lose interest in that a little bit. And then our mountain bikes were all big and heavy. They didn't pedal very well. I was pushing my 50-pound downhill bike up the up the mountain. And I didn't lose interest in riding, but I was just like, you know what? I, I don't think that... Uh, where the sport is, is anything that really interests me for pursuing. And uh, I'd always been really interested in, you know, first aid and helping people and uh, the fire. De- well, I actually first 
started ski patrolling on a local mountain. And that showed me that I loved the first aid side of things. Then I did forest firefighting for three years. I got my paramedic license. Then I eventually transferred into uh, working at the fire department full time. And I've been there nine years now. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. Sort of the ever changing tides of what is currently trending in the bike world. And, you know, you're sort of a guy who mostly seems to be into and best known for just riding really rowdy, steep free ride <laughs> lines. And so that's definitely a bit at odds with the kind of the whole slope style movement and stuff that was going on, you know, 2010 or so is about what we're talking here. And yeah, I just, I, I just didn't, uh, I totally fine admitting. I just didn't compete at that level. I just wasn't that skill set of mine was not that level. So I didn't really care to try and push myself and get super injured when I just didn't like, I wasn't that good at that, this stuff. So, yeah. I would be curious to hear too, about sort of just some of the earlier days of kind of the, you know, golden age of free ride in the North shore. If you want to call it that, obviously there was huge crew of really impressive guys who've just sort of turned into legends of the sport coming out of that area at that time. And any particular stories that from, you know, Vanderham or Tippy or Simmons or any of those guys or any, anything uh, particularly noteworthy coming out of that scene in the kind of early two thousands and so on. Um, well, you know what, actually the cool thing is, is I've become pretty good friends with Wade and Golly and a lot of those guys quite later in my life. And I actually never knew them personally uh, other than just watching them in videos. So that's been a really cool thing about kind of diving back into the industry. I've got to make friends with all these guys. But, uh, and as far as cool stories, I got to, uh, when I was filming with Digger back in 2005, I got to go out as a young kid and shoot all these features that I grew up watching, uh, Vanderham and Simmons and Golly on. And now I get, I'm a young little kid and I've got the camera pointed on me and they're like, all right, your turn, go ride it. I never actually got to ride with those guys back in the day, but, uh, yeah, getting to ride the features that they did and film on them was got to be one of the coolest things for me. Like I'll always remember those memories and shooting with Digger. And the features were so unbelievably sketchy. And like, I love you, Digger, but he he didn't ride the features. He would just build them. And he'd have this crazy creative mind with an amazing ability to build. So he'd build them and then he'd bring me to them and no one had maybe ridden them ever. And he's like, all right, man, have at her. Let's see how she goes. I'm like, are you sure this works? He's like, no, you're the guinea pig. You're the first. <laughs> so that uh, there's always one feature that stands out for me. And that's, uh, it was called the shelf. And it's the, the opening thing I hit in my NSX uh, North Shore Extreme video. And it was uh, no more than two bike length long platform up in the tree, suspended at about 20 feet up with 20 foot drop off the end with maybe a two bike length long landing. So you gap into it, break, break, and then you're dropping off. And the thing was just pure horror. And that was the thing, the first thing I ever shot with him. And I was the first rider to hit it. So that was uh, like, that's, I mean, that type of stuff that the building doesn't happen as much like that on the shore. I mean, at all, those things aren't getting built anymore. Yeah. Definitely changed probably for the better in some ways there. Just, yeah, there's just, there's so, it's so much, I mean, I'm sure same for you where you live. It's so much busier. There's such a higher volume of riders and it's really cool because the sport caters to such a different variety and different level of riders now but you know stuff like that it can't really exist out in the common areas anymore because someone's going to get real hurt yeah the world's definitely changed in that regard you know kind of same story here too like you're saying you know 10 15 years ago all the trail building was happening was just got you know kind of core riders out in the woods building sketchy stuff without yeah. any real permission to do it and exactly 
you know, now we've got so many more people out in the trails and sort of needing to cater to a wider range of ability levels and so on. And yeah, your land managers too. You have so many different uh, jurisdictions that forests go through. So awareness of, has been brought to it. So yeah, you got to be a little more, uh, a little more strategic, a little more careful, get your permits, you know, yep. things have changed a bit. For sure. And at least down here, certainly too, it's like there's still some, some big scary stuff getting built, but it really seems like there's much less of an emphasis on woodwork specifically. And it's a lot more kind of raw natural stuff rather than sketchy wood platforms way up in the air and all the old skinnies. And it's funny too, a bunch of the spots where I ride a whole bunch down here, there's still lots of just totally derelict yeah. crazy old woodwork off in the woods that no one's hit in probably 10 years and it's all falling yeah. apart and rotted and covered in moss <laughs> and just fun trip down there. I'm really laying though, rolling through there looking at it and being like, Oh yeah. Remember, remember that from this, that, and the other. Yeah. I still have a huge passion for finding those features in the woods. If I do and being like, this could still go and seeing if you can actually do it. I just did that the other day with Yoan. We found a feature and it was just like that derelict, almost punched through and uh it still worked it's got it the thing's ancient like 15 plus years old but yeah it's the best i love it that's fun yeah (laughs) yeah so well you were taking that kind of hiatus to get up on your firefighting and paramedic skills and move into that you know you said you sort of stepped away from riding at least in a in quite the same way that you had been before but were you still riding in some level through all that or were you really pretty much just full bore on the medical services and all that. Yeah. I still rode up, up until like quite a bit more mellow, but up until about 2000 and uh, 2011 or 12, which is when I actually got hired at the fire hall. And then during your probationary period, you're kind of expected to take care of your body and not be off and focus on the job. So I actually didn't ride at all for a year. And that was really difficult because there's, my fiance Kelsey knows I'm either working or riding and that's all I do. And if there's one of the two is not happening, then I'm pretty bored. But, uh, yeah, no. And then for quite a period of time after I just rode super, super mellow and, uh, it was difficult for me, but yeah, it was, it was cool to focus on the job and it's such a cool job. It's super rewarding and, and I love it. So yeah, I, I was okay with it, but it's nice to kind of be full at it again. I do most curious to ask about that too. How is that kind of balance working out these days where you're still working in the fire hall? And I can imagine they're probably (laughs) not super stoked about you showing up with a broken wrist right now and that kind of stuff. And what's sort of the give and take like as far as you're riding and filming a bunch of super gnarly stuff and at least there's a fair bit of potential for pretty high consequence stuff there. How do you kind of weigh that against your day-to-day responsibilities at work and all that? Yeah, that's, that is a tough one. Um, and I've just been doing more and more filming recently and started to get a little bit more company support, but I've, I've made a pretty big effort to ensure that everything I'm doing is not pushed by a company or any demands there that I'm doing it just for me. So, I mean, the hall doesn't like it when I get injured and they prefer if I was a bit safer. I've actually been pretty good for the most part. I've had a couple injuries throughout my nine years, but, uh, yeah, for me, I just, you know, have to ensure that the pressure to do things is coming from, from me. And even if I wasn't filming and if I didn't have the company support, I know that I would still be going out there and doing all these things because I just love it so much. So yeah, tough to, it is tough to find a balance, but, uh, you know, when I've chatted with companies in the past, uh, uh, 
you know, as I'm sure you're very aware, there's companies have their deliverables and what they'd like to get from you. And I always ensure that they know that I'm just going to do what I'm going to do. And if there's too much outside pressure that I, I just can't do all that much, I can't deliver all these, like too many videos. Um, yeah, I just have to be willing. I still have to be good to go back to work. And a lot of people don't see, I turn down a ton of features on a day-to-day basis. You're not seeing that. I, I say no all the time for lines and things that I just don't see, see working. So I, despite what some people might think, I'm, I'm very calculated and I try to be smart. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And in a lot of ways, it sounds like it's maybe a pretty good place to be in where you, you know, you're not relying on the riding for your livelihood. And so you can, I'm sure that makes it easier to sort of pick and choose what you do and don't feel comfortable doing and saying, well, no, I'm just not feeling this, not going to do it. Yeah, I've tried to, but yeah, that separation has been very important to me. And that all people are aware that are involved with what I do, that Firehall comes number one. And the riding for me is purely fun. I just love it. And that's the only reason I do it. And the bit about being really calculated is interesting too. We had Remy on the podcast a few months ago and he talked a lot about it, that exact same thing. I mean, he's a guy who is doing just absolutely mind-blowing stuff like that Squamish edit that we talked about a second ago. It was just like one of the most absurd things I saw anyone do last year on a bike. I mean, it was 100% absolutely unreal. Yeah. But he talked a lot about trying to like basically walk that line of doing really crazy stuff, but having like being just so dialed into what he's doing that he is able to do crazy shit in a way that is on some level pretty controlled and pretty precise. And, you know, his writing does bear that out. He is just wildly precise in the stuff he's doing somehow, which I continue to not understand it yeah yeah i like to think i'm like relatively precise and decent at bikes and i go ride with him and i feel like i'm just learning how to ride a bike uh like there's there's features that he'll do uh that i just i'm like no that's there's one that i did on garanga his uh his famous garanga features and i'm i still haven't got myself over it something's just telling me not to do it and he'll hit it so calmly 10 or 15 times in a row and i'll film him because he's trying to get that uh, that clip and he just seems like he's not even scared because he just keeps doing the same thing over and over again perfectly. And like, this is absolutely unbelievable. And for that reason, uh, I love riding with him. Got to be one of my favorite guys to ride with because he doesn't pressure you. And he he has a good understanding of the risk versus reward. And he sees it in me. We've done enough kind of gnarly things together that he knows how to read me if I'm not feeling it, that he's not pushing me to do it because there's a reason why I don't want to do it. Yeah, it's good to have those partners you have the rapport with and kind of know exactly where they're at and can don't have to work quite as hard at the communication just because you've got the experience built up to sort of be on the same page and and i was going to ask too you've been in addition to remy you've been riding and filming a lot with yoan of late yeah. we'll get into uh the tour de nar in a minute here <laughs> yeah, that's so wild but would be curious to hear kind of how you feel about sort of the different um i don't know if vibe the right word or just obviously they're you guys are all kind of operating on some level in sort of the same space of just riding lots of steep rowdy stuff with big features and kind of that's what you're all into doing but yon and remy obviously have pretty different personalities in a bunch of ways and Yeah. yeah it would be interesting to hear you talk about sort of how that's borne out in the different experience of riding and filming with those two guys yeah, um, two two completely different guys that have two completely different approaches to how they 
how they do things, like how I just described Remy in the uh, you know a minute ago there. But riding with Yoan, like skill set extremely high. Uh, when he looks at the feature, he just looks at it and then he he knows he can do it. He clicks in one run in and then he just goes. And he doesn't necessarily do several hits of the same thing. But I mean, it's funny. They, just how I said Remy style works for me. Like when I ride with Yoan, it's kind of get into a dip, bit of a different headspace and it, it works just as well riding with him. But they're they're very different in how they ride. So on that point of kind of getting into the Yoan headspace and doing things a bit differently. is, is <laughs> <laughs> So is it the case that you're kind of when you're filming with him, you're sort of doing more just one hitters and moving on in that way as opposed to the Remy Kubrickian just 20 takes on everything or you know how, how does that break down yeah I think and it, it's just uh you know it it just comes down to just kind of what they're they're after and what they enjoy and the style that they enjoy and I just appreciate both of them and their styles uh so much like Remy uh Remy just really values getting like the absolute precision in shots and that's so it's so cool um, and I'm actually kind of funny. I'm like a little bit more in the middle of the two and Johan, he just doesn't, he just doesn't care. He's like, that was sick. I survived. I'm not dead. Let's go on to the next one. Um, uh, and I'm kind of a little bit more in the middle. And when I, I can't do the features as many times as Remy does because I start to overthink. So even if I land it well, I'll maybe go do it again. And then I, I sometimes let fear and doubt kind of creep into my mind. And I'm like, I don't know if I could. I've already done it twice. I think I'm happy to take that and, and run. Uh, whereas he can just maintain the same headspace for 10, 15 hits of the same thing. And I, I can't. Like sometimes I'll hit it, like well, maybe one more time. And after that, I start to get a little bit emotionally drained of that one feature and I'll just take it and be like, I'm happy with that. Let's move on. If that makes sense. Yeah. Now that, that kind of resonates. I mean, I'm someone who just never did any filming or shooting of, of my riding until I started working for blister and suddenly needed to get photos to run with reviews and all all of a sudden had to figure out how to do it. And yeah, it can be hard. Just it is hard riding the same thing 10 times in a row and trying to get the shot right. And I'd be sort of curious how your approach to if you're, you're riding something that you're, that you're kind of scared about. And are you finding that you're needing to hype yourself up to go forward? Or is it more a call needing to calm yourself down and get mellowed out to get after something big and which direction do you tend to fall on that? I'm the latter. I mellow myself right out uh, to the point that I think it freaks some people out sometimes because I get, I get really quiet and I get hyper, hyper focused. And when I, when I look at a feature, I pretty much know that the second I look at it, if I'm going to do it or not. So I don't usually require that many run-ins. And if I do, then I know that that might not be the feature for me if I can't figure it out quite quickly. But uh, yeah, usually I get very, very quiet. Like Kelsey always knows. I can actually hear her in the background because she's my fiance. She films everything I do. And I can usually hear her being like, oh, he's going to go. He's going to go next go because I'll get really quiet and I won't speak and then I'll go do it. But uh, yeah, I, I, I favor the the focus rather than the helmet smashing, you know, let's go get myself all riled up. Because I usually, like I said, when I look at something, I know I can do it. And if I know I can do it, I don't really need to get myself hyped up. I just get super focused, visualize it, and then do what I what I see in my head. And that's uh, that's always worked pretty well for me. Yeah, that definitely resonates. Not to compare my riding to some of the stuff you're oh, doing. No. <laughs> definitely on a different level. But well, I can't compare my riding to Yoan and Remy. Like those guys are so wild. I just I'm just trying to keep up and not die. 
Uh, you, you, you hear it in the video. I'm like, that was fun. I didn't die and I had fun. And that's true. That's the how, perfect. That's how I feel when I ride at those guys. I'm like, I survived. Hell yeah. <laughs> but um, just on that last question you asked about um, hyping yourself up, um, when I broke my wrist filming with Remy at the end of a long day, uh, it wasn't that I didn't want to do the feature, but I was really starting to feel the mental and physical fatigue. And I knew I had it. I did it. And I, sh- and I said to myself, be happy with what you have. Like you did it fine. And then I'm, I'm like, no, no, I want the perfect clip on this. And when I was at the top in my mind, I'm like, this is a, this is a bad idea. Like you're tired. You should be happy. You should take it. And then I just exploded. So I kind of, I know myself and I should have listened to myself and I paid the price, uh, and learned, learned a lesson, but, uh, yeah, I, I know myself pretty well and it worked. I, I kind of almost knew I was, something was going to happen, but I didn't think the crash was going to be that violent and it was very violent. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. Listening to that little voice in the back of your head can be important. And I definitely, what I was going to say there is too, like the, what you were saying about sort of knowing right away if something's really going to go or not, or if you're going to going to go for it. I definitely am sort of the same way. Like if I'm gearing up for something and I'm finding myself taking five run-ins at it to look at it and feel it out, like it's very likely just not going to happen at that point. It's kind of either just go for it and it's going to go, or I'm going to get in my head and spend so long looking at it that I just get psyched out and like, well, yeah, time to walk away. Yeah. And I think just, you, you know, in your head, you know, that something like it's the lip or the corner or the takeoff or the run out, like something's not clicking. And eventually yeah. you just, you got to like, you know, think about it a little bit and be like, what is it that I don't want to do? And then sometimes it's just, maybe you don't have the skills for it or you're not feeling on that day. So yeah, it's good to listen to that. So you don't have to sit here with a broken wrist. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, to roll into the Tour Dinar video that you and Johan just put together, um, for people who might not be familiar, is basically the two of you guys uh, going and doing a pretty outrageous lap of a whole bunch of really burly features through the Sea to Sky Corridor and basically just trying to tick off as many as you could off the list. How did that idea get started? Uh, that was all Johan. Uh, so I think maybe he said he's had the idea for a couple of years now. So maybe he was grooming me and, uh, figuring me out <laughs> for the last uh, few months that we've been riding. Cause I only started riding like with Remy for the past year and Johan only for the past four months. So we've kind of done more videos together, more riding, more hanging out. And then he called me one day. He's like, I got this idea. We should, you know, start from Pemberton at first light and then go all the way across the North shore and hit like as many features as we can in one day and finish at sunset. I'm like, yeah, sounds awesome. So that's, uh, that's where that started. You know what? Actually, I think when you first asked me, I was just recovering from, <laughs> from my knee injury. So I'm like, give me a, give me a couple weeks here. Yeah. But yeah, that's where that, that's where that came from. The wild mind of Johan. How long had you been back on the bike after the knee when you went ahead and did that? I think it was a, it was a cruel April 1st joke when I broke my tibia. So, or tibial plateau. So it was, you know, middle of June that I started riding again. And yeah, what are we at? August, what day is it today? I don't even know. Ninth, I think. Ninth? So it was like August 5th or 6th that I broke it. So it wasn't long. I had like two, two and a half months back that I was back on the bike before we, we shot that. I was, I was feeling, I was feeling good. There was no lingering issues whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. You were back up to speed. Okay. That's not an excuse I'm allowed to use for this one. <laughs> I have a bunch <laughs> of other excuses. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, well, the video is incredible. We'll include a link to it in the show notes with this one. Thanks, uh, thanks. People should check that out. 
in, in the video, you do say that like you kind of ran out of time and had to pair a couple of features off the hit list. Was there anything, though, that you showed up for and were just like, nope, this isn't going to go today and skipped right on or no, uh, no, just <laughs> full go. There was there was one that I showed up to and said, this is not going to go today. And I truly believe that I wasn't just saying that. And you'll see in the video, you know, and it's like, no, it goes <laughs> so blunt. I'm like, oh, my God, like, OK, but there was only one of the day that uh, that was like that. And that was the classic Andrew Shandro down ladder bridge gap over the path to sketchy wooden bridge. And that was that was the one that uh, I'd actually hit it in March. And it was the speed. Nothing ever shows in video, as we all know. But this the thing's so steep, so unbelievably steep. And the run out is this crazy ping ponging shoot into a hard left corner. And when I hit it, it was perfect the conditions. Like the, it was that tacky, perfect dirt. And I still couldn't believe that I survived at the bottom. And when we went that day, it hadn't rained in 40 days. It was dry. It was hot. And it's actually kind of a shared motorcycle enduro zone. And they had been using the run out of that feature as a, a track to go up. So they had churned out the run out into this like close to one foot deep rut. So I look at it now and I'm like, this is impossible. This is truly, I believed impossible. We will die. We'll explode. And his, his words were, it goes. <laughs> so yeah, we actually caved in the sides and filled it in. But now you're basically, your run out is, you know, eight, 10 inch deep sand. So yeah, that was the one. You'll see, yeah, in the video, you'll see me say, I truly did not think that was going to go. And I'm, be, I'm speaking from the heart on that one. I, I thought I was going to land and I thought I was going to eject. And you also see me talking to the filmers in the video. I'm like, you got to move out of the way because that's, that's my ejection zone. That's where, that's, that's where I truly think I'm going to go. And had it been another day where that was the only feature that we showed up to do and it was cold, I probably, well, 0% chance I would have done it, but it was the perfect part of the day where we were just on a high. We knocked everything off the list. We're feeling good. So I, I just like, yeah, I'm going for it. I got it. And it, it, it worked out perfectly, but uh, there's just the headspace. The Yoan gets you in a great headspace. Like if you ever get the opportunity to ride with that guy, it's just the funnest and he'll get you. He's a good coach. He'll get you to where you need to be because mountain biking is so mental. Like it's your skills, but it's also headspace. And I said that throughout the whole day. I'm like, this is the best headspace I've ever been in for biking. Like I feel so good today. My notes that I'm looking at right now from <laughs> for, from that uh, Chandra season's drop uh, or quote, drop itself looked okay. Landing looked bad. Run out looked worse. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, I can't describe how bad it is. And you know what? If you were a Kamloops kid or a Kamloops guy or anyone that rides loose, you're probably going to be laughing at me right now, but I don't ride loose. Like I ride slippery yeah. routes and rocks and I don't even know how to ride loose. So like, that's a weakness for me and, you know, dealing with a weakness on a large, sketchy mandatory drop was scary. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> I also really liked the bit where you show up and you're looking at it and then Yohan's over there just shaking this rickety wood <laughs> landing and you're yelling at him, don't jump on it and break it. Like you sounded yeah. legitimately concerned that he was just going to take the landing out before you even got to hit it. I, which I'm glad you brought that memory up because I think that's actually my favorite clip of the movie because I, like every, I, I was so honest with that movie. There's no hiding. There's no ego. I just let, let it all to the, the table for that one. And I'm like, this is not writable. 
these wheel we're on 29ers and these holes in this bridge are so big and yeah i he's like it's gonna go don't worry but yeah that was scary i don't remember which one of you ended up hitting that first wait are we talking the uh the high ladder bridge or like the the hold out punch through ladder bridge i was talking about the punched one but either yeah both. yeah okay the punched one yeah the that was, yeah, he hit it first and actually I saw him hit that for the first time uh, and I filmed it with uh, Kelsey and him and it was when I let my leg was broken so I crushed up there and I watched him do it and I'm like this is not going to go these holes are like three slat lengths long exposed nails all the rest of the wood looks like it's going to go and break but uh, I don't know he said it's going to go so I just I trusted him and I actually never got a run in on that you'll see the GoPro and you'll see me hitting it and that was my first time ever descending that on a bike Oh, <laughs> one done gone didn't even get to go back and look at it yeah wow that was <laughs> so funny <laughs> Kelsey's like you sure you're gonna be okay I don't think this is gonna work I'm like I don't know I think it'll work <laughs> yeah I mean we'll get to the uh what I'm pretty sure would be your answer for scariest feature of the whole thing in a minute but uh what was sort of the hardest aspect of that whole day maybe not in terms of a specific feature, but more like, was it just the physical fatigue from being on the bike for that long or more kind of mental thing of having to be plugged in and focused for such a huge chunk of time or maybe something else that I'm not thinking of kind of what was the hardest part about putting all that together? I think you're on the, you're on the right track there. Um, and I kind of said in one of my posts there that I wasn't quite prepared for how physically and mentally exhausting it would be because we came up with our list of features and we're like, is this feasible or maybe it's too light? Like maybe it'll be too easy to achieve. And kind of our goal with it was, you know, you can always trick trick people with cameras and make things look like more of an adventure as possible. But our, our big goal for this one was to truly make it a sunrise to sunset uh, kind of epic challenge that was actually difficult for us. Like we didn't want to do a feature and have a coffee and then do a feature and then chill and be super well rested. So our you know, that sounds kind of dangerous, but the goal was for it to be nonstop, like morning till night. And it was, we, I think we had, we had one quick lunch break. Other than that, it was, it was go, go, go drive to the next feature. Some of the hikes were 30 or 40 minutes and it was 30 degrees, uh, super buggy, uh, pushing the bike up, fighting, cramping. I think I, I think I drank probably 15 or 16 liters that day. I had a big 20 liter water jug. I drank a liter after every feature we did. Uh, and I peed once that whole day. So like, wow. Yeah. I really, literally, I literally out went pee once and it was not a good color. So yeah, the, so the point of yeah, the point was to be a relentless, relentless challenge. So meant like, even you see how happy Yoan is on camera all the time. I even got to see him dip in energy levels and see him start to fade. And I had to be like, yeah, we got this man next feature. And it was, sometimes we'd consider, you know, do we not, like, do we take this feature off? It's going to be pretty difficult. And we all said over and over again, like, well, you know, if it's, it's not going to be a cool video or a cool experience, if it's easy and people will know if we're, if it looks too easy. So, you know, I had to pick him up sometimes and he had to pick me up. So mentally it was exhausting considering that we left the hardest feature for last that he had never done. And, uh, and then physically, you know, I, I was fighting, like cramping pretty bad despite eating, eating healthy, lots of bananas, lots of water, lots of food. Every time I'd, I'd hike my bike up, my forearms would just completely 
close in and cramp. So at the beginning, like by the end, every feature I was doing, I was doing a big forearm massage and trying to make sure that I didn't cramp halfway down. So yeah, that, that was pretty important to us to try and document that, uh, you know, it, we also, I, I want to say that there are harder features out there. There are bigger features for sure before someone's, those weren't the gnarliest features, but obviously had to be a balance between gnarly versus accessible for a film crew. Like they had to be a certain distance off the highway. Couldn't go, you know, hours into the bush just to hit one feature or there'd be no video. So sure. Yeah. It makes sense. And yeah, yeah. Even if you weren't hitting the absolute biggest stuff you could have, it, it sure didn't look easy. And, uh, you guys hit some, some pretty rowdy stuff in there. It's a good one. Thanks man. But let's talk about that last feature. So <laughs> for people who haven't seen the video yet, how about you describe it to start? Yeah. It, I'm even, I'm chatting with, I'm sure you're very familiar with Scott Secco, one of, I think one of the best filmers out there. I'm chatting with him right now and about how to f- properly film that thing. And I just, I still haven't properly filmed it to find an angle that really shows what it is, but it's basically a extremely steep rock face that, you know, your traction is lost. So you're, you're skidding. And then there's a gap where you have to gap, you know, maybe six to eight feet out, but it's very unnatural and awkward. And you have maybe a five inch little gap that you can land on either side that you land would just send you into completely out of control. And then you're landing again on a steep rock slab. That's it's rough. It's undulating. It's off camber. So you're fully drifting and ratcheting around the corner. And if you blow the corner, which, you know, realistically is probably, you know, 20 feet from you. So not that far. And it's about 120 foot cliff, like straight down. So the, and it's right at the apex of the corner. So if you screw up the corner and you blow the corner, you're done. Like completely, completely done. So to me, it's the scariest feature I've ever seen and written. And I've also heard that from Yoan and Remy. They've kind of affirmed that to me. That uh, I, don't, I don't know if you've seen them. I've done a video with Yoan and Remy now. Uh, like when I got Remy off at first time and he's like, whoa, this is pretty gnarly. And like that means a lot coming from from him because he's the the king of <laughs> king of control in nar yeah so that's that's that feature yeah so how was it having to go for that at the end of this super long day where you've already ticked off a whole bunch of stuff and like you've just described you're tired and cramping <laughs> and having to get yourself just in the headspace to go for something that's this consequential and scary how'd that go it was tough and it uh, not only did it weigh on me in the moment of actually doing it, but I think it was kind of in the back of our minds throughout most of the day, causing an additional stress an additional, we didn't really talk about it. We made kind of, we didn't, I don't know, an unsaid pact of focus on each feature. Don't talk about the next feature. Take one at a time. Don't be like, Ooh, wow, I'm, I'm really scared about this feature in three goes. So we didn't really talk about it, but I know we were both nervous and, uh, I actually did a little bit of a chat with Brett Tippy a little while ago and uh, it, it's hilarious. It was only like a month ago. And in it, I said, yeah, I'm done with that feature. I've had my time with it. I'm never going to do it again. And uh, yeah, I was like, ah, I totally lied. I guess I'm due. I didn't think I was going to hit it again because it's just so high consequence. Like how many times do you want to roll the dice with something like that? Like it's gone well every time, but if it doesn't, it's going to be really, really bad. So Yeah. Yeah, we were we were punched. It was eight o'clock at night, so we started at three forty-five in the morning, and it was eight p.m. when we showed up at that feature uh, drop again. And uh, you can see in the video, <laughs> I'm so over it. Like I don't want to do this. And 
so much respect for Yoam because I've done it. So I know exactly what is coming. I know, and he's never done it. So not only does he have to process what I'm processing and doing it, he's just got to figure it out for the first time and actually get in the headspace for that. So it was pretty good conditions, but it was so dusty on the rock that we actually had to sweep it because there was no traction. Like it was dust on uh, dust on crust, like a ski term. It was, uh, it was slippery. Yeah. Yeah. I saw a little bit of that in the video. You guys hiking up with a little brush or <laughs> yeah. trying to clean it off and get ready to go. Yeah. I carried that brush around for the day just for that feature. Like you said, Johan going for that for the first time after everything that had come before it in the days, particularly wild and just, yeah, really impressed that he pulled that off. But so this is a feature that you built initially, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. I scraped some moss off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, I guess. Yeah. Uh, built is a somewhat relative term here. Yeah. But wanted to ask a little bit about that too. I mean, you have talked a bit about in various places sort of about building your own features being a kind of an important part of what you do. And how do you go about scouting something like that? And how do you even kind of know that it's going to work when you get started or do you not necessarily? What does that process look like? Yeah. Like for, for one, uh, just my inspiration for building uh, is uh, very Kenny Smith. Like he, Kenny Smith has always been a big idol of mine for his, uh, his building style and just how raw and gnarly he is. So I've always really like enjoyed the type of features he built and that shaped kind of what I'm looking for. Uh, and two, uh, building takes an enormous amount of effort. So when I'm looking for features, uh, some things like look kind of gnarly, but I know it'll take a ton of work to do it. And then it won't actually be that gnarly of a feature. So when I'm looking for features, I'm usually looking for something that's pretty, pretty big scale that can reflect as scary and gnarly, even on film. Cause that's, what's hard to do. You build something, you think it looks gnarly, you take a photograph and you're like, well, that doesn't look cool at all. That looks like a bike park feature. So I, I, I kind of like to look pretty big scale and that's difficult. It's pretty difficult to do. And the story behind this one is uh, a good buddy of mine was out hiking and he kind of found it. And he's like, man, I found the feature for you. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Send me location. I'll go check it out. And I went and looked at it. And I'm like, man, I guess this guy kind of hates me because I think he's trying to kill me. This is absolutely insane. Like there's, I don't actually think this is rideable. So I get to work on it, put it in. And, uh, and then I call him like, it's done, man. I it's, it's made. And I show it to him. He's like, that's not what I was talking about. It was off the other side. <laughs> so it was actually the, it was off the, off the backside. It was also quite scary, but not as scary. So I was like, oh, okay, well I've already built this. So We'll have to see. And yeah, that's kind of how that feature came about. How long did it take you to get around to going for it after you'd gotten that scratched in? Uh, yeah, it was funny. I uh, it, it, it was a while to get it all all done. But uh, I, I was, you know, I was planning to film it in like the next day. And I was kind of slapping some dirt on it. And uh, my fiance was with me just getting a couple photographs of, of building. And uh yeah, I was like, you know what? I, I gotta, I gotta hit this right now. Like, I, I can't wait till tomorrow. And she was like, what? Are you serious? You actually want to hit this right now? And, uh, I was like, yeah, I'm not going to be able to sleep. I'm, so I actually went up and hit it just solo me and her for the very first time. Uh, but it took me a long time. I, I, I hit it from below the gap, which was not that gnarly. And then from the top, I, 
I almost got like dizzy vertigo at the top when I first dropped in because I, I wasn't sure if I was making a really poor decision about if it would go because I was where I was quite wary of the consequences. But uh, it I had worked worked perfectly the first go and every time after. But that was a difficult uh, a difficult headspace to get into to know that you can do that and ride that out. Yeah, and I guess it makes sense that if you were starting from below the gap, you just wouldn't be carrying the same speeds, and then the corner wouldn't be yes as risky. But apart from that, it's not the kind of thing where you can sort of break it down and piece it together and do the individual segments. At some point, you've just got to go for that gap, and you're running it out one way or the other at that point. It's certainly not something you're going to stop on. Exactly, yeah. And I recently posted a video on my, my Instagram there that kind of shows the the violence of the feature. You can hear the the wheels chattering and the sound and the audio, and it, it gives a pretty good idea of how aggressive the feature is. Yeah, it's a burly one for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, even, you know, just having seen it on video. And I'll have to get you up here and actually show you in person. <laughs> we don't have to do it, though. Maybe now I'm done with it. I'll say it again. I'm done with it. I'm done with it. <laughs> yeah, I guess border's opening up pretty soon. Maybe you'll have to make that happen once your wrist is healed, uh, though right. I'm certainly not going anywhere near that thing. Oh, I'd be happy to uh, prove you. Yeah. yeah. Fun to show. I love sharing. I love seeing other people's features. I love seeing other people's building and sharing. It's it's like the people and it's my hundred percent my favorite part of all this. It's so cool to see other people's visions. Have you ever had something like that where you went up and built it and then just were done and stepped back and like, well, this isn't going to work at all, and <laughs> just had to walk away from it? Or uh, just one, but it uh, it, it kind of didn't really work from. Uh, the beginning, but I usually a lot a lot of thought goes into what I'm picking and what I'm putting a a shovel or a pick to dirt on. So I'm usually I'm pretty careful. Like if I if I start, I'll know within a very short period of time that it's just not going to work. Either the dirt's wrong or the rock's wrong, or if you pull moss off and everything crumbles and falls apart, you're like, ah, that's not going to work. That's that's no good. But uh, yeah, half the half the fun of it all is just hiking in nature, scoping and looking at things and wondering if, oh, I wonder if I could get my bike down that. But yeah, def- definitely there are some things that didn't work, but I usually don't spend too much time on those things. I mean, there's the one feature that I called uh, the dice roll, which is just a big, long rock roll. And I called it the dice roll because I didn't know if I was going to be able to shut it down and survive it. <laughs> so I called it the called it the dice roll before I even hit it. I'm like, oh, I hope this works. Let's roll the dice. It worked. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Pretty good name. Yeah, that's a good one. By the way, although we touched on it, what's do you have a name for that that last feature from <laughs> Tour de Nar with the, the rock app we've just been talking about? It's called Busted Axe Wound, which uh, a lot of our trails on the North Shore are called, uh, I mean, they were named way back in the day before too much political correctness, but we got Sea Buster and uh, Severed D, and you can fill in the blanks figure out what those names are called. So when I was naming this one, I'm like, I want, I want my own classic North Shore name. And my buddy uh, called it Busted Axoon. And that was, uh, the literal translation would be uh, Broken Lady Parts. Um, and it was because my fiance had a horrific boat accident where she was stepping onto a boat. Uh, and one of the cleats that you tie the boat tops to, uh, a wave kind of kicked it up and kind of crotched her and uh wasn't minor it ended up she kind of hit the deck and had a seizure and it was a quite a bad quite a bad injury we've already she's already yelled at me for telling the story so i can't get in trouble twice but uh <laughs> <laughs> she's okay with it she was she was okay but it, it poor poor girl hit yeah it 
hit her pretty good. So I asked her permission if I could call it that. So that's the the name of the feature is Busted Axe Wound. Um, I hope I don't get in trouble for this. But yeah, it's a it's an aggressive feature, so it has an aggressive name. And uh, <laughs> it's a memorable feature for me, and it was a very memorable injury for her. And she's a huge part of everything I do. Like She films everything I do and photographs. She's so supportive. We've been together for 15 years, getting married in a year. And uh, yeah, so I kind of wanted to have a name that kind of had her attached to it, too pretty good one and congrats on the uh upcoming wedding yeah i uh i made her wait 14 years poor girl <laughs> she's awesome kelsey that's her name well steve this has been super fun and i'll let you go in a minute here but uh just one last question to wrap things up the name of the podcast after all is bikes and big ideas so we like to end by asking our guests just what's your big idea and this can be anything go you know either something serious it's been weighing on your mind or yeah. just go crazy and off the deep end if that's what you're feeling anything goes here yeah it's cool actually i have a i may not have had a good answer for you until a couple of days ago but a good buddy of mine just called me and he put this idea in my head like i've just been enjoying filming with remy and yoan and getting to know a lot of these like really talented riders like gulovich and wade and michaela gatto and he's like why don't you maybe start a channel or do something where you as a non-professional amateur rider reach out to people around the world and go out and tour their features and get them to show you their kind of gnarliest line or their favorite thing. So, and, uh, that was just an idea. And I kind of thought that'd be a really cool way to get out and explore, you know, call guys and, you know, maybe Darren Bearcloth and be like, man, you've been a big idol of mine. Maybe, uh, could bring me out to the Island. We could shoot a little bit of video with, uh, Kelsey and just show me some of your favorite moves. And, uh, as I'm, I'm not a pro and no obligations, I'd have no problem saying absolutely not. I'd not want to do this, but uh, just an idea. That's just an idea phase, but I thought that'd be kind of fun. Cool little uh, channel idea might put some relevancy and I don't know, people may or may not enjoy it. Certainly sounds pretty cool to me. I'd be excited to watch it if it ever comes to fruition. So yeah, other than that, just uh, more, more filming, more building, uh, keep my career at the fire hall <laughs> i'm just having a great time man like i absolutely love it even get you know getting a chat with guys like yourself like i didn't think i'd have an opportunity like that and it's super fun i love it i love to share and i love to meet new people awesome well steve it's been super fun thanks for coming on and good talking to you and hope the wrist heals up nicely uh, much appreciated i think it'll be okay thanks very much that's it for this edition of Bikes and Big Ideas, and if you are enjoying these conversations, then we would really appreciate it if you would take 30 seconds to leave us a five-star rating or review in Apple Podcasts. I also want to say thanks to Steve for the conversation, thanks to Taylor Ahern for producing this episode, and thanks to you for listening. From all of us at Blister, please take good care of yourself and everyone else, and we will talk to you again tomorrow on our Gear 30 podcast, where we will be going deep on the liquid fuel that keeps Blister running, coffee. So join us for that conversation over on Gear 30. Bye, everybody.